welcome to the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust Podcast on Writing Great Grants. This year, we're proud to mark 45 years serving the nonprofit community of the Pacific Northwest. As a private nonprofit foundation, we've invested more than $1 billion through capacity building grants, enrichment programs, and convenings for nonprofits with a desire to help organizations flourish and thrive in order to serve the common good of our communities. On this show, we provide real-world insights and tactical information from experts in the field to help grow the capacity of nonprofits, strengthen organizations for the long term, and support leaders in their fundraising and grant application efforts. On today's episode, we sit down with Drew Dyke to talk about the importance of telling your story. Drew is an acquisitions editor at Moody Publishers and a contributing editor at ctpastors.com. Drew's the author of several books, including his most recent work, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. Other titles include Yawning at Tigers, You Can't Tame God, So Stop Trying, and Generation X Christian, Why Young Adults Are Leaving the Church and How to Bring Them Back. He's also published several pieces at USA Today, CNN.com, The Huffington Post, Christianity Today, Books and Culture, and Relevant Magazine. When he's not writing or editing, Drew helps nonprofits develop and hone their story across a variety of media. Enjoy today's episode. Drew, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. It should be a fun conversation. Now, uh, you and I were, were talking, uh, the goal of this podcast is really to provide real world insights that will help nonprofits flourish and thrive in their daily work. And we often hear that one of the most important things a nonprofit can do is tell their story well. Why do you think it's so important for an organization to tell its story well? That's a great question. I think the, the simplest way maybe to answer that is just to say, because that's what moves people. Stories move people, right? Um, people aren't moved by, even though they're important, by statistics and uh, data sets. Uh, they're moved by stories. So, you know, you could say, for instance, that your mission is, say your, organize, your organization's mission is to help under, underprivileged children get a better education. That's an awesome, awesome mission. But then if you start droning on and on about, you know, the number of children that fit that category and how the number of those kids is on the rise. At some point, people's eyes glaze over, right? Whereas if you start telling me about Sam, who lives in a certain spot in Portland and his mom's working two shifts and they're still below the poverty line and he's falling behind in school, all of a sudden I'm engaged, right? Because there's a story. There, there are people involved. Um, and so I think that, and that's just the way we're wired neurologically even is to respond to stories. So if you aren't telling your story and telling it well, you're losing out. You're not capturing people's attention. And again, all the statistics and, and, and all the good things that you've done, that's important. And there's a place for those, but the story has to be the main thing. Now, you've worked with a lot of nonprofits, for-profits, individuals, a lot of people who are telling a lot of different stories. What do you find are some of the common pitfalls or obstacles that organizations may run into when they try to tell their own story? one of the things, actually, I think the main thing that, that organizations do wrong when it comes to telling their story is simply just to tell it once or twice and then stop, right? Because we have this illusion about our organization that somehow everyone's paying attention, right? No one is, or, or very few people are. Or maybe they're paying attention for a brief moment, uh, and then they move on to something else. And so we think, well, we've already said that. We've already kind of told people what we're about, what our mission is, what our story is, what our history is. But they may have not caught that. So you have to tell it repeatedly. 
Uh, and, and of course, the thing isn't to just say the same thing over and over again, because that can get old, but to tell your story in different ways through different media at different times. Uh, and to you, it's going to feel like overkill, right? But when you think of the great brands in America, you know, I don't know, McDonald's, let's say, think of how many different ways they've told us their story, <laughs> which I don't know what their story would be. It's like, we're, we're here to make you happy, right? Um, we love to see you smile. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm thinking of their slogans, right? And the ads and stuff like that. They're telling you that constantly reinforcing that story. Uh, and so uh, obviously that's a whole nother level because it's like this transnational company, but you need to be, have a similar sort of relentless approach to communicating what you're all about. And that means telling your story. Uh, when I worked in radio uh, several, several decades ago, um, or at least it feels that way. Uh, they used to tell us that the, the, you're not old enough to work <laughs> several decades ago in radio, but it anyway. feels like it. Um, but no, but, uh, the, 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 the programming staff used to always tell us that right when you as a disc jockey start to feel bored with a song, that's when the audience is starting to get it, which kind of is that same principle of right. it, when, once you start to feel like it's getting tired, that's just when it's starting to seek in with your audience. That's great. That's a great principle, right? Because it's, yeah, it's wearing that groove in people's minds, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? With, with, with a song for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a similar dynamic when it comes to, um, and, you know, I, as an author, I've heard these statistics about like, you know, it's not until maybe the seventh touch that you have mm -hmm. with a potential reader that they're actually going to buy your book. Maybe they heard an interview with you. Oh, that was kind of interesting. And they saw it pop up, you know, on an ad or something. And then someone said, hey, I read this book. It takes a lot of those before they're actually going to plunk down 10 or 15 bucks and buy your book. Uh, well, with an organization, I mean, the threshold's even higher before they're going to care about you, want to uh, back you, want to give money to the cause. Uh, you've really got to reinforce that story and, and make it something that they're emotionally invested in. And when we talk about this, you, you touched on this uh, in, in one of your previous answers a little bit, but you know, when it comes to making that story compelling, making that story so that it jumps out at you, is it, is it just stories? Is it, is it human stories? What is it that, that really is that element that makes a story gripping and compelling to an audience? Yeah, I think it's the human element for sure. If that's missing, you got a bad story, right? If, if there aren't characters that you care about and that the, the, your audience is going to care about, uh, it's probably not a, a story worth telling. I think another big ingredient is tension. Every good story needs tension, right? I remember you know, studying the, the basic dynamics of a story. And they talk about even the, the simplest kind of rom-com movie has the format of boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. And if you think if, if you eliminated the boy loses girl aspect of that story, how bad the movie would suck, right? It, it would just like, no one cares. Uh, if they just met and then lived ha happily ever after, you've got, you know, you got the meet cute where they bump into each other in a coffee shop or something. Uh, they start their story, they get married, and then it's over. It's a 10-minute movie. Um, there has to be that tension. There's got to be a problem. Uh, and so sometimes I think organizations want to cut right to the solution. Go, hey, look at all this great work we're doing. Rather than presenting the problem um, and showing how, how big and maybe even intractable the problem is, um, before actually talking about what you're doing even to address it or solve it, uh, because you want... The, you want people to connect with that and go, wow, um, this is a, a big issue. I mean, I think of those like commercials that 
they have on TV, I'm forgetting the organization now, but there's someone singing sad music in the background and there's like uh, dogs and cats shivering and they've been neglected and abused. And I mean, they're presenting you with a massive problem, right? The, these animals are in trouble um, and, and it's effective. You want to jump through the TV and hold one of those poor puppies, right? That's being, <laughs> that's shivering and shaking and cold instead of just going, hey, we've got this, guys. We're help- Look at all the animals we're helping. We helped 10,000 animals last year and blah, blah, blah. You know, you just, okay, great, they've got it. You need to see the problem. So that's something to keep in mind. When you're crafting your story is to really emphasize the scope and the nature of the problem that you're trying to solve. So interesting that you bring up the needing to kind of show the whole picture and not just the solution, not just the good work. Because one of the uh, the challenges that that organizations face is they want to share the full breadth of their impact. We often talk with nonprofits that you know want to show you all of the areas where they're working and all of the successes that they're having, um, which is wonderful work. But at the same time, we're told often that the key to good communication is brevity. So right. how can organizations or how should organizations think about balancing telling the depth of their story while still maintaining, a sense of brevity to their work. Yeah, that's that's a perennial challenge for sure because a lot of it's going to depend on the on the platform you're using to communicate your story because sometimes you have more time to go in depth and kind of give the backstory and all this stuff, but often you don't, especially the way that, you know, social media is changing the game. Uh, and really when it comes to this topic, uh, concision is king. You want to to really be as brief as possible while still being effective and making that emotional connection. Um, you know, the, the brain is a calorie hog. One statistic that just freaks me out, I can't believe it, that like your brain uses 25% of your body's calories, even though it only weighs like three pounds, right? Really? I've and, never heard that before. That's fascinating. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure some brains use less <laughs> and some use more. But the point is, and, and, and when the brain is encounters complexity, it makes it work harder, which is unpleasant for your brain. So our brains are naturally lazy. We're always looking for like shortcut, easy way, procrastinate, whatever, right? So when you come along as an organization and you present people with complexity where they really have to think, that presents a challenge. And I'm not saying they should. They should care enough to fight through that and think, you know, to understand the problem, uh, to to struggle with some long story or something like that. But the truth is our, our attention spans are short and getting shorter uh, people are just naturally wired to ignore complexity and to glom onto simplicity. So the more you can simplify your message, you know, here's the problem, here's what we're doing, uh, here are the people involved, even maybe just tell one story, you know, or tell parts of stories at different times. Um, that is is the the key to success, and it's hard. I get it. It is really hard. I think you know people think. Oh, maybe like say when it comes to a book, writing a long book is hard. No, writing a short book is hard, right? <laughs> Doing can conveying a good message with with fewer words or less time, that's really difficult. It actually takes more time, which is counterintuitive, but it is worth it because then you'll engage people's attention. Like when, when I'm scrolling through social media, I'm gonna be honest here. Like I see a oh, 14, 14 minute video. I better be really interested in that, right? 30 seconds, mm-hmm. okay. Maybe I'll give you 30 seconds. And this is really embarrassing. Maybe this is just me, but like first 10 seconds don't grab me. I might be out of there. Right. <laughs> and so that's what you're dealing with. That's just the reality. And you can, you can, you know, curse at the sky and go, Oh, these darn young people. And 
tech and algorithms and it's awful and it is, <laughs> but, but that's the world we're in. That's the reality you have to deal with. Twitter and Facebook have very well conditioned us to this, you know, one sentence, two sentence, like you said, 10 seconds. One of the things that strikes me is when I look at our, our analytics on Facebook and we see that Facebook actually says, okay, if, you know, it could be, like you said, a 14 minute video, but if somebody watched, I think it's 15 seconds of the whole of, of the video, they count it as an engagement. So that was right. engaging with them. So we're conditioned to, you know, to, to look for, for brevity, but is there still a place for telling that robust story? And, and is there, do you have any thoughts on how to maybe bring someone from that, you know, initial, you know, short tweet, short Facebook post into a more robust telling of the story? Yeah, thankfully there are. Um, and, and it happens in a few places off the top of my head. I mean, one is say you, the founder of your organization will often have opportunities to speak. Whenever you're speaking, you're speaking for at least 15 or 20 minutes, maybe even an hour. Those are opportunities to really flesh out the story, you know, um, rather than just do little sound bites or, you know, social media clips or something like that. Um, another uh, venue for that can be video, because sometimes if you have, especially if you've got like you've hired a videographer and who, who's gone and told a really compelling story about what your organization is doing, that can be absolute gold uh, that, that people will engage with. And it can be a little longer. It can be 30, 40 minutes even. Uh, and then, of course, there are books. Um, and this is something you know, I encourage uh, organizational leaders because they have a bit of a platform just by virtue of the organization that they're leading, the work that they're doing. Uh, one great way to get your message out there is to write a book. And it can't, uh, one, one mistake, frankly, that a lot of them make is kind of treat it like a PR opportunity. And it's got a lot mm -hmm. of fluff and, and it's very self-promotional. Uh, it's something that almost has to transcend your specific organization and taps into the broader movement that you're involved with or something. But if, if it catches on and you get a lot of readers, that's another great way to engage people potentially. And of course, that's a long form thing. That's probably going to be 150, 200 page opportunity to tell who you are, why you're doing what you're doing and, and how you're making a difference in the world. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and actually a really great transition into kind of the next section that we wanted to talk about is we talk about, you know, those leaders that you talked about and, and, you know, that your executive director, your, your organization president, they're going to have an opportunity to get out and speak, um, which is wonderful. Um, but there's also opportunities for them to, you know, write or, or publish pieces and things like that. And, Sometimes we hear occasionally from nonprofit leaders that maybe writing isn't their specialty. Maybe they're they're a visionary behind a solution, they're a financial whiz, but you know, for whatever reason, putting the words on paper just isn't isn't their thing. Everyone has their strengths and their their areas for growth. Um, but this kind of leads into what you spend most of your day doing. I mean, you work with writers all day, every day. So when does it make sense if I'm someone who's working for a nonprofit or working for an organization? And writing just isn't my thing. When does it make sense for me to bring in professional writing support, either as a contractor for a project, for, you know, as a full-time staffer? When is, when is the time for that? Well, yeah, first of all, um, you're absolutely right. Even people that are great communicators in front of a group of folks, right, if they're speaking, um, the assumption is often that that will translate into an ability to communicate through the written word. Uh, and uh, trust me, it, it doesn't always happen, right? It, sometimes people can write and speak, but they're totally different animals. And most communicators, um, verbal communicators, uh, don't have an appreciation 
for how big that divide is. <laughs> and so they, they might be really compelling and charismatic and articulate in front of a group of people. Then they go and sit on their computer and they sound like a ninth grader, mm-hmm. to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, and, and it's hard to have the self-awareness sometimes to go, okay, am I really a, a decent writer or not? And even if you think, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, like a B, B plus writer. Well, still, do you really want to produce a B plus book or article or whatever you're trying to write? So my answer is, and of course I'm biased because I'm an editor, um, although I'm not looking for work, you know, <laughs> so, um, but my bias is, yeah, when in doubt, if you kind of like, I don't know if this is really my strong suit and you have the resources, that's another big um, question mark. Uh, but if you do, yeah, hire the help. Why not? It's going to, it's definitely going to make a difference. I'd say 90% of the time people need that help to create a book that is really worth a wider readership, you know, something that's going to be read beyond your friends and family. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say do that and, and make sure you find the right person. Sometimes another mistake that people make is they just hire someone who is, oh, I know, so, you know, a buddy of mine, he's kind of good with words. Maybe he can do it, right? And maybe he can, but maybe he can't, right? <laughs> or a recent college grad that was an English major. Uh, but it's a very specific skill to take someone's message and, and to put it into very accessible, popular level language for people to really engage with. Uh, so if possible, I would say, yeah, hire the help or at least hire someone to give you some, an editorial service after the fact to go through your writing, your manuscript and give you that honest feedback. You know, mom uh, is going to tell you it's awesome. Uh, but <laughs> if you want an honest take, sometimes you got to hire a professional. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that my mother was not the best person to review my senior thesis when I was in, when she I was in college? She has been lying to you all along. Ah. Uh. Oh, you're crushing my world, sir. Mine um, too. Now I'm starting to think. My mom always says how handsome I am, and uh, that's throwing all that into question too. No, that that's the truth. That's the truth uh, right there. You. Yeah. Um, so let's say the organization or the leader has decided, um, okay, I've I've got the idea, I've got the vision, I need some help, I have the budget, I've identified that support, um, I've identified a writer. Uh, what are some of the best practices to make sure that the partnership between an organization and a, and a, and a writing, uh, a, a, some, some form of writing support, that that partnership is successful? I'd say at the outset, um, if you're the leader, you want to communicate to this writer or editor um, what you're hoping to accomplish, right? Like, what's this for? Uh, are, you, are you trying to, to yeah, tell your story? Are you trying to um, attract people that are going to support your organization are you trying to tell your history? Is this a bit of a memoir? I mean, all that matters, right? Uh, so that they know from the outset what the goal ultimately of this project is. Um, and then give them plenty of time and feedback and input from you. I have heard many stories of writers teaming up with a leader and they don't even meet. Like for real, like they just, you know, someone sends the writer some some speeches or something that this person's done. And they're told, write a book using this source material. That's always a recipe for just a awful ghost-written, you know, uh, book that no one wants to read. Um, so you really do have to put in the time together because you're really, you're doing this together. It, you know, it's not, it's not something where you're just like farming it out to this person. Like, hey, you write it. Okay, I mean, you, you're going to have to write some. You're going to have to talk to them a ton. They're going to interview you. It's got to be highly collaborative. Uh, so don't, don't, um, and I know leaders are always busy, but don't skimp on that. 
put in the time at the outset so that they have enough great source material uh, to work from. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I'd say. Communicate your goals and, and put in the time. And then on the flip side of that, are there common practices that you see in terms of the partnership between an organization and a writer that really get in the way that, that, that people should get away from doing maybe things that seem like they're helpful or seem like it's a, it's a way to save time, but end up causing too much and end up, end up uh, hindering the process. Yeah, I would say, um, well, I guess I already mentioned this, but I see this a lot. It's like hiring your friend who's good with words, right? <laughs> um, you, you generally want to get someone who kind of does this for a living or at least as a serious sideline uh, who's going to help you out with this. Um, and then uh, be really honest, you know, uh, give, give a ton of feedback. Uh, tell them when you're not happy with the product. They might come up with a chapter and you kind of go, well, they're the professional. I guess I have to just like it. But the truth is, if you don't like it, other people probably won't either. So you do want to push the writer and the editor like, hey, I don't think we're there yet. Can we do this and that? Um, because even though they're the professional with the words, you know, in general, when something isn't working or not. Uh, so you definitely want to make that uh, a very honest and transparent working relationship. I think it's interesting you brought up again, the, you know, the example of, you know, the friend you knew from college or the, the recently graduated English major. In your opinion, as someone who has evaluated a lot of writers, what do you think makes a good writer? What do you think people should be looking for aside from, you know, obviously, you know, if there's some sort of connection there, or, you know, a rapport, what really should be the thing that we're looking for and, and should stand out and say that, okay, this is a, a good writer versus a not so great writer. Now, are you um, asking about like the potential writer or editor that they might hire to help? Out? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in that case, I'd, I'd always ask to see some samples of stuff that they've edited or stuff that they've written themselves. And when you look at those samples, what you want to look for is just something that engages you. Usually it's, uh, material that uses like first person language. It's not like one would think that one should consider that kind of stilted, awful academic language um, because you want something that's going to connect with a wide audience. I mean, unless you're just trying to reach academics, okay, that could be a a thing. Um, but you want to, to read samples that you go, yes, I want my writing to sound similar to this. Um, and if they don't have those samples or they haven't, or if they're not able to even write like that themselves, the chances are pretty low. They're going to be able to do that for you. Um, but if you, if you see those and you go, Hey, that's a great sign. That's probably the best predictor of what kind of work they're going to do on your project. Excellent, Drew. Okay, we're, we're coming towards the end here. I've got one more question for you before we wrap up. But before we do that, I just want to touch if there's any other topics or questions I should have asked you that you want to make sure we cover anything that you know, we've, we've come up that's maybe sparked a thought anything like that. I want to make sure we get that in before we wrap up. Wow, that's a great question. I think um, it's such a big topic. Uh, and I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff we're going to miss. Uh, but one thing I, I'd like to say is that if you're going to tell your story and tell it well, tell it consistently in a compelling, human-centered way um, and successfully reach people, it's going to have to be something that is championed from the top. Sometimes, especially when the organization's a little larger, maybe the leader goes, I want to farm this out to someone. I know it's important to tell the story, but I'm going to farm it out to some underling who's better with words or whatever. Um, that may work, but often not. You have to, if you are the leader, of the organization, whether you're five or 500 or whatever, 
if you don't champion this yourself, this commitment to telling the story and driving the process, uh, it may not end up working because it is like we've talked about. It's something that takes persistence. Uh, like, like you said, once at the moment you're getting sick of doing it, other people are just starting to get it on the outside, what you're all about, what your mission is, what your heart and passion are for. Um, and so it's going to, it's going to test you. And if it's not something that, you know, the, the top or the executive team or the top leader is really passionate, passionate about and committed to, then it may not happen in the way that it should. Excellent advice. Uh, last question for you, because I know you're a very busy man as someone who has been an, an, an editor, but also a writer and has written with a, a number of different partners over the years. When you've been sitting down with a possible, you know, new collaborator working with someone where you're going to help tell their story in that conversation, what is the one question you wish they had asked or they would ask of you as part of that process, as part of that kind of initial interview process? Hmm. Let me think. It's always so different. Um, you know, one question that I always ask them is like, what are you just incredibly passionate about right now? That's sometimes a good way to distill their message. Uh, the kind of thing that, you know, not, oh, this book is about topic X. And so I have to, you know, tackle this topic, but like, what are you thinking about when you go to bed at night and when you wake up in the morning, like what's kind of driving you right now? That's often a really good key to, to home in on their, their essential passion. Um, but when, uh, it, it comes to me, I, I guess I appreciate kind of them. Sometimes it's this kind of hazy thing where you're both coming in and you're like, Hey, who's responsible for what? Right. And, and it's helpful to hear from them, their expectations, like, okay, what I'm thinking is that we're gonna have a lot of conversations and then you're going to do some writing. That's one possible scenario. Um, that's not you, ones I've usually been involved in. It's more them doing the writing and then me kind of coming in and suggesting rewrites and doing some rewriting myself perhaps. Um, but it's good to kind of lay your cards out on the table at the outset and for them to go, okay, how much time can you devote to this? Um, how are you envisioning this relationship? Because uh, sometimes you just kind of want to bumble into it. But if you get too far in and, and you had differing expectations of how much time this was going to take, uh, who was going to do what, uh, that can lead to problems down the road. So just be clear up front, and that's a lot easier for everyone. Drew, this has been a wonderful conversation. You've given us so much to, to think about and so much uh, real-world expertise to kind of help apply as, as nonprofits are looking at telling their story. Thank you again so much for taking the time with us today. We so appreciate it. Oh, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I hope it's helpful, and I'll be happy to spread the word when it comes out. And that wraps up this episode of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust Podcast. For more information on nonprofit development and effective grant writing, as well as resources on leadership, board management, team building, and a variety of other topics in the nonprofit space, visit us online at murdochtrust.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Murdoch Trust, on Facebook at Murdoch Charitable Trust, and on LinkedIn. Music for this episode was provided by Lobo Loco via the free music archive. This episode of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust podcast was recorded by the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust, copyright 2020, all rights reserved.